Today I'm chatting with Bian Lee, better known as B. She's an entrepreneur, global speaker, futurist, and former investment banker at the intersection of finance, impact investing, technology, and social innovation. B is now the founder of The Hungry Lab, where her team work with the next generation of problem solvers, from students to startups to social enterprises. We chat about her work with The Hungry Lab, some of the pivots she's seen this year due to COVID, also what startups can expect in 2021 and beyond. And we talk the UN's Sustainable Development Goals and their importance in business today. And we touch on the notion of purpose and understanding your why. There's a few network issues at times, so please bear with it. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Bian Lee. Good morning, B. Welcome to the Task Podcast. Uh, lunchtime for me, but I think still morning for yourself, yeah? Yes, still morning here. Uh, I'm currently in India uh, from Southern California, but based here since the lockdown and we do a lot of work here. So really great to be here, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. Yeah, really great. Great. You've had time to jump on and looking forward to this conversation, which we've got a few topics to cover. You know, as I will have done a little bit of an intro at the beginning of the podcast, but to kind of widen that, be great just to to get some some background on yourself, uh, what you do, you know, the Hungry Lab and be a good start to the podcast. Sure. Um, In a very short amount of time, I can explain this. My background is quite diverse. So I come from a finance background. I was an investment banker uh, in uh, mergers and acquisitions. And before and after that experience, I worked in Africa in uh, economic development, uh, poverty alleviation, uh, socioeconomic research. And so I've seen the the gamut between the the extremes on both ends of of wealth, of um, uh, the various um, issues that come along with it. And so what I do now is really weave the connections between various parts of um, various stakeholders that are trying to transform the future uh, and try to break down the silos. And that's why I created the Hungry Lab. So we are an education and incubator uh, platform for anyone who is hungry to create a better future for themselves. And we have various tracks in which we allow people to step into their full potential and nurture and guide them through uh, various education programs, as well as a real life incubation uh, cycle that they go through and we direct them to whatever it is they are looking to create. So whether it's they wanna get a job, do a startup, um, create a social enterprise, or make an impact for themselves, their families and, and the world. And we also have uh, a consultancy and think tank arm of it. And if you think about the hungry lab, everyone's hungry to achieve something. And so if you're hungry, let's eat. And eat is that acronym, educate, act, and transform. And we have many different ways of how we're doing about that. And we're building a global ecosystem in which we can uh, work with our partners around the world to affect this type of change on the ground in local uh, geographies. Cool. So quite a, um, a number of different areas you, you, you touch on there and, and, you know, working with startups, the SDGs, working with, you know, both um, incubators. Uh, and in terms of your geography, so you're in, you're in India at the moment, which you've been structuring lockdown, right? But you're normally based in, 
uh, over in the US and the organization is everywhere. I, you know, I've looked at some of your links. You, you've done work in, in lots of different places around the world. Are you, are you kind of global as an organization? Yeah, we are very global uh, in terms of the mindset in which we operate, uh, our partnership network and the folks that we work with. Um, and so we started out in Southern California but we were even global before that with our research um, before we launched um, working and piloting with groups across the world. And that really is sort of the essence of what we do. The future is going to be more and more interconnected. And so we try to instill that global mindset uh, in what we do. And we found that knowledge sharing between different parts of the world it adds tremendous value to whatever you're doing, uh, as well as opens up doors to more opportunities for uh, our members in our community. And we are focused on future-proofing students, startups, social enterprise, the, the folks that are making a difference in the world. And so that global connection is very important. Cool, and I, you know, you, you um, obviously being stuck in India and you, uh, you know, it sounds like a job that requires a lot of face-to-face, -face, but I know we've spoken before, you're already in this kind of, remote world with a lot of the work you do. You know, what is the new normal for you with, with COVID-19, the pandemic this year? I mean, it's hard to avoid these questions really, but you know, how has this, how's it affected you? What, what's changed? Uh, what have been the, you know, what have been the good, the bad, um, you know, during COVID? Yeah, so I mean, obviously COVID has had, um, you know, a big effect on um, the whole world. And for me personally, it hasn't been that much of an effect in terms of my day to day. Uh, I'm an introvert by nature. So the whole distancing stuff isn't isn't that uh, much of an effect, although we used to do a lot of live events, um, which is a great, uh, you know, contributor to our, you know, our thought leadership. Um, but we've been moving everything uh, virtually online webinars and I've actually been teaching um, and sharing what I do with more people during COVID than I was able to with the live events uh, before COVID. Uh, we've had, we've worked with a number of our startups um, and social enterprises to pivot uh, and be flexible and adjust to what COVID is bringing. Um, and whether it's, you know, pivoting towards uh, COVID health interventions with their products and solutions, or whether it's adapting an, another type of situation to manage their cash flow or to um, hedge some of the risks um, that they're being uh, confronted with, as well as helping them engage a larger audience and really help amplify the work that they're doing in alignment with this global awakening or um, you know, resetting of how business should be done in the first place. And so with that, we've actually seen um, some positives come out of a very negative situation. And um, so that, you know, there's, um, there's a silver lining there. And um, we've seen that, you know, because now COVID has forced a digital transformation um, in places that previously resisted it, especially with online teaching, that there's a lot more opportunities that have opened up. And we're excited to see the possibilities there of how startups can really help fill the gap in that marketplace while making a big difference um, and improving the lives of people who now have to adjust to a new normal. Hopefully this awakening to needing to do business not as normal anymore because normal was what got us into trouble in the first place 
hopefully this shift in thinking is going to be more permanent rather than just a temporary blip uh, and people forget and then we go back to our you know bad habits and and so that is my hope and we're working uh, to do what we can to shift that collective conversation with our thought leadership and the events that we're doing online, our webinars, our workshops, as well as inculcating this more into our programming uh, and an educational platform um, and, and working with our partners to make sure that that is also implemented on the ground. Cool. So there's a couple of things I want to touch on there and um, maybe drill down to, but uh, yeah, really interesting when you talk about you know, things like the education sector being, um, you know, disrupted in a way that's going to just change it. But that, that's also going to lead to innovation. And are you seeing, so you've obviously seen pivots within the startups you work with. Are you also seeing, you know, new technologies kind of come through that support I don't like this expression, the new normal, but it's, it is the way to explain it. And you're right, it's not about normal. It's about um, expecting change, right? But are you seeing, you know, new, new solutions in tech to support that, that sector of education? And, and what other sectors are you seeing as, you know, really changing and, and innovation really coming through because of what's happened this year? Absolutely. So what we're seeing um, also, and I've been um, lucky to be a mentor on a few global hackathons, and um, one of the, the winners of an um, economic development track, um, one of the companies that I mentored won that track, uh, and they are actually a company um, in South Asia that has created um, a, a user-friendly app for work at home uh, freelancers who have now had to adjust to um, you know, working from home and they may not be as tech savvy. And so they've developed a platform on which they can get hired and matched and, and with, um, you know, employers and um, it's and in, in not just people who provide digital solutions, but finding a way for people who, you know, used to rely on physical services to still be able to make a living by transitioning those um, you know, physical services into online revenue generation, for example, teaching a workshop on personal training versus, you know, needing to be in the gym to do personal training. And so it's, uh, and so we're seeing technology being used to help shift how um, people are making money in COVID, which is necessary when many people have been displaced from jobs, especially in the retail physical services industry. Um, and, and we're also, so in, so the, the workforce, uh, area, you know, has been a place where we've seen a lot of innovation, especially with work from home and trying to find any ways of doing things and continuing to generate an income. We're also seeing obviously in health tech, um, a greater push towards making, uh, testing, uh, more accessible, uh, more innovative ways to, uh, you know, do tourism with VR, right, experiences, virtual experiences, because we can't travel. Those are just some examples um, in the travel industry, too, because travel is a huge industry that is being affected by, by COVID, you know, looking at safety measurements. So how can we make um, people feel more comfortable about, um, you know, traveling or going outside or, or doing their everyday stuff uh, in the age of COVID. So health measurements uh, and, and those types of things. We're also seeing now, obviously, as people are realizing, hey, it's not just about COVID, but COVID is just a symptom of a larger rot in terms of, you know, how we've conducted ourselves. And so 
we're seeing more investment interest in things like climate tech and uh, ag tech as it relates to mitigation uh, and adaptation to climate issues. And um, you know, th that has been uh, growing, but COVID has accelerated that interest um, in, in that. Previously, climate tech was considered very much, um, a, a lot of times for mainstream investors, a, a pie in the sky type of investment because there were a lot of projects, there was a lot of experimentation, uh, but now there's more willingness to invest, um, especially at the early stage with these types of companies. So those are, um, the, those are the trends that we're observing and uh, we're working on the ground with a number of different startups involved in each of these spaces, health tech, climate tech, ed tech, uh, workforce tech, to, uh, to help um, you know, nurture and grow them and, and, and find opportunities for commercialization. And um, so it has really created um, a, um, a wide open field for new innovations and not just actual tangible products or solutions, but new innovations and ways of thinking about how we do business and thinking about how we approach the future with new mindsets and, and, and moving from that shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism and really revolutionizing that shift in thinking. Um, and that's something that I've talked about a lot um, in the work that I do um, and a lot of the presentations and speeches I've done around the world these past couple of years was preparing for the industrial revolution and the future of work. We need to prepare and shift our minds to be able to learn and we need to learn how to learn. And this cognitive revolution, as I describe it, is what is helping drive us further uh, and accelerate this movement towards um, progress. Really interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, watching what's happened. I mean, you know, the environment has been a focus, a, a huge focus for the, for the last few years. And, you know, there's obviously been these, um, you know, hopeful stories of, of, of the, the, you know, the fresh air we've experienced because of less, less flights and things like this, which are obviously mm -hmm. temporary though. And I think as, yeah, it's, it's encouraging that you, when you talk about, you're seeing investments into environmental tech and anything else, because I think as, you know, as businesses start to get back to recovery mode, which they are now, it's, you know, it's about thinking about, yeah, this is the new norm, but it's about mitigation of these situations in the future and how you operate as a business and what you do, how you approach the world. So, which I think is a great segue, you know, I wanted to talk to you about the, um, the, the SDGs, the sustain, sustainable development goals, the, the UN goals. And, um, you know, we're, We've been focused on that area for a while. Um, during COVID, things have changed for us, which we'll talk about in a bit. But, you know, we're just launching now a, a project on our platform around the, the SDGs to allow businesses to, to engage in them, to track their progress, to report on it. Um, I know that, you know, you've had involvement in the SDGs. You know, I've looked at, you've, you've been doing roundtables. You're the, I think, the founding partner of, is it the Global Citizens Innovation Challenge? Um, yeah, where, where do you see SDGs sitting, um, the importance of them as we, you know, come out of 2020 and obviously head towards 2030 and, and also the business um, benefits of them at the, the startup level, you know, understanding them, engaging them in them, having business practices that align to them. Um, sorry, there's a few questions I threw in there, but hopefully, uh, hopefully you can unpack that in, in various ways. Yeah, sure. No, SDGs are very important, um, especially because there is, you know, the growing 
realization that we've really were on a path of no return, right? We just had Earth Overshoot Day um, a couple days ago, I think, and where we've overshot our ability to, um, you know, uh, sustain our, our, our resources given the pace that we're moving. Uh, so the, the sustainable uh, development goals are a framework in which innovators, uh, startups, social enterprises can align their organizational mission with their business practices, with how they make money and with how they're actually going to deploy their solutions and to who. And there is now a greater awareness of how the previously underserved especially in developing economies, are now a burgeoning market and a whole new huge customer base that is waiting to be tapped. And so you can align doing well with doing good. And it's, um, and it's not just about doing good on the surface level as your end product, right? And the, and the fact that your end product has. Now there's also a greater push for transparency in the whole business process of the ethics of doing business, of how you're actually operating, how you treat your employees, uh, your impacts and footprint along your entire supply chain, right? Yep. Uh, and, and so that is now um, creating greater uh, awareness um, and demand from consumers who are becoming much more savvy and demanding this from brands and demanding this from companies. And so that's actually forcing co companies that previously treated CSR, corporate social responsibility, as just lip service or a PR thing to take it seriously. And that's a, a positive trend that has uh, ex been accelerated by COVID too, is that ESG, environmental, social, and governance principles are now being taken a lot more seriously and, and, and companies are now uh, pushing to uh, integrate these principles within their framework of doing business and not just as, as a CSR add-on. And, and so that is, is great to see. And um, hopefully, you know, with constant, uh, you know, push uh, that it will continue to be this way and not just be a momentary blip. And um, so, and obviously the UN SDGs are very much involved in that. When you're talking about ESG, you're talking about CSR, you're talking about you know, the triple bottom line, right? People, profit, planet. And so the UNSDG frameworks, those 17 goals, uh, all fit into uh, people, planet, uh, and, and profit, uh, because you need to be making money to be sustainable, but there's ways to do that, that you can actually be um, uh, it, it responsible, uh, be ethical, and be inclusive, and be, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and be positive in terms of the impact that you have. And um, so what we're finding is now people are very, very hungry for this type of guidance and for this type of um, content. And uh, I might be a little biased given that this is, you know, the work I do, but people are coming to us and people are coming with our partners. People are coming to our partners uh, and really, uh, and people who may have not had interest in this before, but are now seeing, oh, wow, hey, we need to do something, right? So we're seeing uh, a wider uh, net of people coming together on these issues, like with the Global Citizens Innovation uh, Challenge that the Hungry Lab is a founding partner of, along with partners like the Arab Youth Venture Network, UN Association, um, uh, Seed Stars, and, and those folks. Um, we're seeing groups uh, that are very diverse, very different, you know, um, a group of um, young girls in Afghanistan 
that are trying to work on a clean uh, city solution through um, better waste management. Um, and we're seeing many, many different ideas that um, are coming from regular people. And, and that's where I also want to make an important note is that you don't need to be a startup or a social enterprise or some tech genius to be able to think you can make a difference in this space. You can eventually get there as you grow, but it takes just an individuals with ideas and to actually start talking about it more and sharing and building up mind share on particular issues and ideas for it to start getting traction and for it to start turning from something that is very abstract into something that is real. And that is something that takes hold in people's minds and you know, compels them to do something and take action. Um, and, and, and a part of a lot of the work we do is trying to create that type of empowerment for individual people to make a change in their world and make a den in the universe from their corner of it without needing to feel um, intimidated or feel left out because they aren't, you know, part of the Silicon Valley, you know, Kool-Aid. When you're working, yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, when you just touched on, what was the project you said in Afghanistan? So, yeah, it was actually um, a submission by um, a, a group of young girls. Um, I, I was doing a workshop on this as part of the, the, this challenge for people who were participating in it. And a, a group of uh, very enthusiastic young girls um, in Afghanistan. And so they had an idea that is based on best practice models they've seen in other countries yep. to localize um, and, and, and to collect trash. Uh, that is left out on the street um, and, and so cleaning up the street pollution and then using machinery to convert that into energy. And, and so now you're recycling, now you're creating new energy, now you're reducing waste. And so, uh, and so they, that was their idea. And, um, and so it, it's very um, heartening to see that regular people are are having their ideas, they're sharing, they're taking action, they're joining such challenges to get support and mentorship for it. And, um, and, and many, there are many ideas that have the potential to be incubated, to be nurtured, to be commercialized with the right uh, resources. And so that's something that, um, you know, it really motivates me in the work that I do and the work that we do with our partners is is to be able to create that type of you know empowerment and educational and incubation platform that's really cool i mean i was asking yeah i've seen very similar projects here in thailand actually one on around you know recycling plastics from the the canals in 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 uh, bangkok and then turning those into uh you know new products that can be sold back into the market but um yeah my question around that was you know when when you're looking at those the group of young Afghan girls who have that business model they've recognized with a level of social impact. Are they aware of things like the SDGs or are they just, you know, are they just out there looking for, you know, solving social and environmental problems and, and trying to unearth the business model in that? It varies. Um, you know, some people just happen to align, even when you talk to a lot of the startups, uh, their, their impact on SDGs may not be intentional at first, but the byproduct or is, um, is good nonetheless. Uh, but now we're actually seeing more um, intentionality with choosing to be more social focused 
I was actually talking to uh, a prominent ag tech investor, uh, one of my friends, and he, he, he runs a big ag tech um, company, uh, investment fund in India. And I was just having this conversation about the intentionality of social impact versus the byproduct of social impact with startups. And he's like, well, you know, there's a lot easier ways to make money. So typically companies that go into the space, especially ag tech companies, um, are social enterprise driven uh, with impact first. Obviously, they are for-profit business models. So you have to build some uh, a for-profit sustainable model around it. But he said there's a lot easier ways to make money than being intentionally, um, you know, exactly. social driven. Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, I mean, this, this whole kind of business model that exists within doing good is, is a, an emerging area. And I mean, it's, it's always been there, but I think it's, you know, that there are increased opportunities, which is great because it just means you maximize the impact that can be made. So. Right. Especially when you think about the network effect and mm. we, and, and so we're starting to see a lot more uh, innovative models of doing business and making money that allows the individual to have more control over their data, their own privacy, their own data, as well as their own uh, control over how to make money. Uh, and uh, one of our partners, uh, Awake.VC, is their Silicon Valley uh, VC studio um, that's building a lot of innovative things around um, AI. Uh, and they're looking at creating, you know, value and monetizing anybody's network. Uh, the network is the market, um, as mm. they say. And so we're seeing uh, examples like these that are pushing towards greater co-creation of value um, and moving away from the, you know, the broken BC model. Um, and we're seeing a lot of different, um, you know, when we speak of diversity inclusion in the startup world, we talk about diversity inclusion of gender, of, you know, sexual orientation, of, of, of individual demographics, right? There needs to be a greater conversation and what we're pushing towards is diversity inclusion of different types of um, business models that are shifting away from just one standard cookie cutter VC model that obviously, um, you know, has contributed a lot to this mess. Uh, when nine out of 10 startups fail, but they don't need to fail when there's more attention being paid in the early stages to, you know, what they call the critical startup valley of death uh, stage, right? Um, and, yep. and, and so there, and that's a lot of the work that we've been doing, partnering with incubators, accelerators around the world to um, help more startups succeed. How can we reduce that failure rate? Right. Yep. And and um, and we don't need to be uh, a unicorn to be considered successful. Right. And you don't need to measure success based on how much funding you have, because even startups that have gotten a lot of funding have failed you know, spectacularly. Yep. And so it's, it's looking at when we're thinking about from a developing economy context, emerging markets what are the actual problems on the ground that need to be solved you don't have to be the next you know unicorn to create long-term economic value for your community and so we need to reshape how we measure and define success because everything is contextual everything is uh needs to be localized and we need to redefine how we measure progress and how we measure um value right um and and, and what does that value mean? And how is that value actually, um, you know, being created and aggregated uh, and accumulated, um, you know, across uh, any type of organization um, and its community? And so, so those are a lot of those conversations that we're having now. And now 
we're seeing that, hey, we're not just the only crazy ones that have been, you know, uh, uh, raising the, you know, ringing the bell on this issue. Um, it, now more and more people are coming out of the woodwork and, and thinking along the same lines. And so this, we're starting to see this critical mass being built up of this new, new definition of diversity and inclusion um, and aligning with that stakeholder capitalism and, and looking at creating value across your entire network. Um, it's really interesting. I think everything you mentioned there, as you're talking and, and explaining, and I completely agree with you that just this need, and I think it's already happening anyway in many ways, but, you, you know, measuring success in different ways. But a lot of the things, a lot of the, the elements you talk about there are also individual shifts because, you know, you're talking about business, but actually I think individuals over the last 10, 10, 15 years of uh, maybe the younger workforce have started to look at meaning within their own life in that same way, you know, not necessarily chasing the job that has the highest paycheck, but looking at things like purpose, meaning, I mean, they're all, you know, they all seem to be similar characteristics that you want to uh, want to judge within yourself in a different way, as well as look at the business landscape. Right, absolutely. And it, it all starts with individual shift, right? Because, you know, teams, organizations, big, huge multinational corporates, they're all comprised of individuals, right? Yeah. And so the, the, the level of consciousness or lack thereof of any organization it, um, is dependent on the level of individual consciousness of the individuals that make up that group and their, the interplay between the behaviors right uh, uh between the, the groups uh within um an organization and so when more people uh are now individually aligning themselves um with this more holistic view of, of doing things and they are more um you know they're happier they understand what their purpose is you know we've talked about you and i have talked about ikigai right that bliss point between you know what you're great at what you love what the world needs and how you can make money essentially yeah. your reason for being and if, if people are aligned with their unique mission in life and their purpose and their strengths uh and their calling then um it makes for happier and more effective uh organizations and that drives exponential change for sure. Do you think this is a generational thing? So, you know, we t you talked before about, you know, how businesses are now, when we talked about the SDGs, and, and I've come from that CSR space in the past where uh, doing good was, was like something, you know, you wrote a check out to a charity before, whereas businesses now realize they need to because certain generations, certain people will just not work for companies that do not treat people and planet in the right way. Do you, do you think this, from your experience, is, is this a, a generational shift or, or does it kind of stretch across generations? Everything is cumulative, right? Uh, we inherit, every generation inherits um, what the previous generation continue, uh, left off working on and also inherited their baggage and their trauma and a lot of their crap, right? <laughs> So, so there's and, and, and both as an individual within a family system as well as a society system, right? Yeah. And it's up to each ex current generation to decide. Okay, which which what stuff like institutional racism, right? The the stuff can we get rid of? Uh, and, and what stuff can we uh, um, you know bring forward and improve and accelerate, right? Uh, and, and so with this, what we're seeing is because this current situation, uh, you know, this current generation, Gen Z, right? I'm even old now. I'm not considered like an elder millennial, right? Uh, but the, the Gen Z 
uh, group is facing unprecedented, you know, uh, perfect, uh, you know, trifecta of, of challenges, right? You've got climate change and we're the first generation to really uh, experience it. And, and as they say, they're also the last generation to be able to do anything about it. So there's yep. that impending urgency uh, that they're faced with that no previous generation had dealt with before. Uh, the, uh, incre the pace at which technology is changing uh, has, is only increasing and much more than previous generations. And the pace at which society as a whole is shifting uh, in terms of how we live, uh, how we operate, especially in, you know, post-COVID age, is, has greatly shifted. And so these are things that they have not done before, right? And so what they're seeing now, um, you know, Gen Zers in this, this current young generation, they need to be prepared for much more uncertainty than previous generations. And that's where all that future-proofing stuff we do comes in. But in, in, so in terms of um, where this is going, we can't go backwards. And I think now, if it's a generational thing, it's, it's, a, it's a byproduct um, and it's a direct consequence of all of the, um, you know, all, all of what the previous generation has heaped upon this current generation. But it's also an opportunity for this current generation to greatly accelerate the technology that the previous generations have developed in order to get ourselves out of our problems. So um, it's a blessing and a curse, and but I don't think there's any question whether or not we can go back because we can't go back. There's no um, th that's really not an option anymore uh, if we want to be able to overcome these impending, you know, issues, challenges. Without a doubt, it's definitely an exciting time, it, and. I had a question here. I think you kind of answered it really, but you know, something I wanted to ask is, and it links into everything you just said. When, when you look at the startup space, I mean, you're plugged into it um, across different regions and you talked about the disruption of this year The, you know, what, what the question I was going to ask actually is, you know, what, what do you think the future looks like? But, but I think you've probably answered that. And maybe there's a better question, which, which is, you know, what advice would you give to, to people going into, uh, go, go, you know, starting up businesses now and next year. Um, and, and I talk in the tech space, people looking at innovation during, during these, these kind of crazy disruptive times. What, what advice would you offer to people making that decision, whether it's their first business or if they're, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to find themselves on the job market that are going to make the decision, I think, later this year or, ne or next year that it's time. I know people that I'm speaking to now, actually, that are deciding it's time to do their own thing. You know, they're not young, actually. They're in their, they're in their 40s and, you know, they just realize going back to work is going to be harder than just making a decision to go out there and start a business. You know, those kind of people and, and, and younger, whoever, you know, what, what's, what's the, the kind of advice you would give those people when they sit down to start the, their new startup? That's a great question. I, I get that all the time. And we actually do work with a lot of the folks that you're talking about in terms of the people who have spent some time in the corporate and now want to do something else. We call them our second chapters. Um, and, and whether you're a young student just starting out after university or whether you are a second chapter, um, it, it's quite simple. And it comes down to what, uh, Matt, you were alluding to earlier. It comes down to the individual. And I would say um, 
both from a uh, practical as well as a uh, existential and a philosophical uh, perspective. Know yourself inside and out and know why you're here, right? There's a saying that you're, uh, uh, people have two birthdays, right? The day you're born and the day you find out why. And that why, um, knowing why you're here will help you understand what organizations you want to be part of, what missions you, that will speak to you and allow you to unleash your power, superpowers and your strengths to make a change in the world and make a change to overcome and it forces you to overcome your limiting beliefs and all of the, the negative stuff that you've been carrying around that is uh, holding you back because we can't afford to have people holding themselves back because we need all hands on deck. This is, a, you know, you can translate what I'm saying now on an individual level, but also as an organizational level, right? Startups, organizations, corporates have their ikigai and they have their, um, uh, their, their why. Um, and there's been many books written about why, right? And the, the, the core is though, it comes down to the individual. Are we healed enough and to start looking at the world from a lens of collaboration? Are we healed enough and knowing ourselves enough to know how we can overcome um, the negative stuff in society? because the saying goes, you know, as hurt people hurt people, right? Are, are we letting to go, are we willing to let go of our individual trauma and our collective trauma to move forward in creating a better society? So it's both a very existential uh, answer, but also the most practical one, knowing yourself first. And then the second part is being, knowing yourself to a place where you're confident in your ability to handle ambiguity and to handle uncertainty. Brilliant, superb. And I think my, my last question links perfectly probably into your answer actually, which is, um, you know, any, any books or, or resources you would recommend, um, you know, for, for people to read, not necessarily people uh, starting businesses, but definitely links in just in terms of, you know, books or resources you, you'd, you'd recommend to people. One book I always recommend, um, there, there's a couple books um, regarding your mind, because you, your mind is going to be the creator or destroyer of your future, right? And, and, it, it, and we've seen this where so many startup founders get into mental blocks, limiting beliefs, all of this stuff. Uh, so, and, and for students who start out who are afraid of failure or who are too uh, scared to go against the pressures of their family to do something, and so I, I always advise growth mindset, I'm um, sorry, mindset. Um, and that's a, it's a book uh, by Carol Dweck, Stanford professor who has been pioneering um, research uh, and thought leadership on how our mindsets uh, will determine our destiny and our future and how we create the narrative for our lives and even from childhood. Uh, and so it has, you know, it's important for parents to also understand the impact of how the, the language they use to their children affects the child's mindset uh, into adulthood, uh, whether negative or positive. And so she talks about growth versus fixed mindset. And those are the two most important, um, you know, growth mindset is, is probably one of the most important uh, 
tools to have uh, as you go forward in the future, because the only certain thing in the future is uncertainty. But if you have a growth mindset, you can flow and you can adapt and, and you can adjust to it and, and not be scared of it, not be scared of failure, not be scared of taking risks. And, um, and, and actually there was a Harvard Business Review article that came out uh, um, recently saying that the, the most important skill that you can uh, have for the future is actually not really a skill. It is a mindset, right? Because skills are things you learn that change because they, they get obsolete, they get replaced by a new technology, new whatever, right? Whereas the mindset, again, when I'm talking about the cognitive revolution that fuels the industrial revolution, that fuels the future of work, the future of learning requires you to have the mindset to learn how to learn and have that intellectual curiosity and the ability to adjust and the open-mindedness um, to think in new ways in terms of systems, in terms of problem solving and critical thinking and, um, and all of those critical skills um, that are going to be needed for the future. And so, so that's one book. Another book is called Limitless Mind by Jill Bowler. She's a colleague of Carol Dweck, actually. Uh, and it's about learning and, and, and living without barriers because the biggest barriers that we create for ourselves in our lives and which then manifests into our business, uh, barriers in our business and barriers um, in, in, in our, 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 our mission is the barriers that we create in our own minds. And, uh, and learning how you learn um, is very important because how you learn might be an entirely different map than how I learn. And we need to uh, know, again, it goes back to knowing yourself of, of how you approach your world because that defines the path that you create for yourself. So those are two books on mindset. So uh, mindset and mindset and limitless mind. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I will, I will leave, um, I will put links to those books for our listeners in the, um, in the podcast description so they can, they can get hold of those books if they'd like to. Right. And also I can also send to you later um, another uh, list of, of books that I recommend that you might, uh, uh, that you can also share. Uh, with people as well. There's a lot there. There's a number of them and I'm having a hard time <laughs> choosing which ones. Um, there's just a, such a, such a long list uh, of ones, but that's the, those are the most critical ones um, to look at. Cool. All right. Well, look, now that's, that's great. I mean, there's two there and I'm sure people will, will, will get value from those. So appreciate it. And if there's others you want to share, I can put those links in. So yeah. Great. Well, look, it's, it's kind of drawing to a close and um, really appreciate you, you jumping on, giving us some of your time, B. Um, you know, is there anything else you wanted to add? Uh, and if not, do you want to, if people want to get hold of you, is, is there ways that they can learn more about you or, or, if, or even contact you directly? Maybe you can just share those details. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, you can go to our website, thehungrylab.com. And you can uh, join, sign up on our newsletter. There's uh, links for you to click on the, the homepage for that. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, and um, you can also find me on uh, Facebook. Uh, the Hungry Bee is my profile name. And if you want to uh, send an email, you can do so on our website as well in the Contact Us page. And either uh, myself or a member of my team will get back to you. Um, and I look forward to, um, you know, sharing uh, and my insights and uh, um, offering assistance any way I can.
Cool. Great. Well, look, thanks a lot. And I know, um, you know, you're locked down in India. Hopefully that's okay. And, and um, you get to, to travel home at some point in the near future. And, and, you know, this has been good. We can always do another one as well. So as we get to know each other more and, and, and share more information, I look forward to having a, another, just another conversation down the track. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, I do uh, as well. Cool. All right, B. We'll have a, have a lovely afternoon. Speak to you again. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. This is a podcast from Task. Task helps you create and measure impact. For more information, please visit task.io.